0: Hello and welcome to the Mission Inspire podcast, a production of the National Medal of Honor Museum Foundation. My name is Mo Barrett, a leadership speaker and a retired Air Force Colonel. Our guest this month is one of the museum's own. We are excited to have the new president and CEO of the National Medal of Honor Museum with us here today, Chris Cassidy. So, Chris, welcome, and uh, I'm not sure if I should be the one welcoming you, but thank you for joining me today and all of us today. For the mission inspire podcast
1: oh Mo, well, it's great to be with you and thanks for uh helping us put this podcast together it's exciting i'm glad to be part of the team
0: absolutely and i'm glad that you're at the helm and in, in, uh, is that the right navy term the helm it is the right oh, Navy. see navy term. look at me okay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so your story is literally out of this world navy seal chief nasa astronaut with the fifth most hours in space of any human ever i believe
1: or something like that uh but it it's uh just wrapping up a military career uh as a navy navy captain just like you where we're um your group mates you're at air force me at navy and 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 i think you'd attest that the the years just go by it's hard to believe that we're passing through the whatever it is 28 29 year mark
0: yeah it's crazy but i'm i'm glad to know that both of us haven't aged i know our classmates have gotten a little grayer and frumpier but uh it's important that we've stayed the same that's good yes exactly (laughs) all right so of course everybody's gonna want to know uh about the space stuff so if you can share with us what is one of your favorite memories from being in space
1: there's so many mo it's hard to pick one maybe just one from kind of each different category on the on the um The oh my god, I'm in space type category. It was the moment the engines cut off on my first mission, space shuttle Mm. endeavor, SCS-127. My job was to take some pictures out the window of, of the external fuel tank as we separated away from it. And I'm busy taking the photographs, and then all of a sudden I pull the camera down, and there I realized that Earth is behind it. I was so focused through the camera lens that all I was seeing was the object. And then for a second, I realized, wow, I'm actually in space and I'm over Europe and 22 minutes ago i was on the launch pad in florida so that was one aspect of it another was um actually later that same mission our shuttle docked to the space station there's seven people on a shuttle there were six people on the space station so the first time that we had 13 people visiting the space station at once and i remember very vividly one of the meals that we had later in the mission right before we were undocking and there was a representative from all international partners, uh, NASA, Rush, Russian Space Agency, Europe, Japan, and Canada, all sitting around eating space food, laughing, smiling, music playing random countries, songs on the, on the stereo. Um, and that was a really special moment, just kind of personally reflecting back on the cool international cooperation that happens happens there. And then of course, spacewalks, uh, I've been privileged to do a number of them and uh, uh, opening that hatch never gets old and, and climbing out on hand over hand over the whole space station is something that really makes you feel like an astronaut. Yeah, that, that might sound funny, but
0: a no, lot no, of the get
1: as, as an astronaut, you're doing emails, you're doing going to meetings, you're just doing normal business stuff, um, if, but doing a spacewalk, there's no replicating it. it you are out there, it's amazing.
0: That that is just impressive and amazing, and just like like surreal, like the the things that you get to live in. I, and I what I'm really grateful for is that you appreciate it. I think a lot of people go through things and realize how unique their experience is, or they don't realize it, and so they fail to appreciate it. So I love that you've got little snippets of the best memories ever. Um, yeah. but so you were you were on the ISS during COVID, right? I
1: was. I launched uh, right at the end of March of 2020. If you remember, that was the month where it all sort of snowballed. Yep, and remained in space until the end of October 2020. So, uh, the f- the first real bits of learning before they were testing all that stuff. In fact, um, NASA does a, a good job of what we call psychological support for the astronauts, where you can have you can call home, you can do email, video conferences. But ironically, during that mission, I felt like I was psychological support for all my friends on Earth. Sure, uh, because everybody was really struggling as and justifiably so um during that time so it was interesting for sure
0: now were the 13 people on the international space station when you were up there during COVID, or just the six or seven of you
1: no normal complement is is six and now sometimes seven because spacex has four seats instead of three which the russians have so two crews of three is typical and now we have a crew of three and a crew of four however when i was there in covid for a number of weird reasons it was only myself and two russians so three of us for most of the time with a little bit in the middle where uh, my colleagues, Bob and Doug, flew up on the SpaceX Dragon, the first test flight of Dragon. So we had a few visitors for about a month and a half or so.
0: That's just so crazy. I mean, you probably had more visitors up in outer space than we did down here when we were all locked in. So you, you had the ultimate quarantine, so kudos on that.
1: Yeah, I joke around and tell people that three years ago, I knew I was going into quarantine in March of 2020. <laughs> I just didn't know the whole world was gonna join me there. <laughs>
0: right? Yeah, Yeah, that's awesome. Well, It's interesting that you talked about you being the psychological support for those of us who are uh, just the Earthlings. But um, and I know you engaged a lot of people with with people on Earth. That sounds so weird to say that you engaged with people down on Earth during uh, especially those COVID times. And you were finding ways to uh, keep us psychologically grounded and inspire us, but also using your mission to further develop our collective wisdom and curiosity that we have. So what were some of the ways that those of us stuck on earth got to be a part of your mission up there?
1: Um, well, you know, we're always trying to think of ways to engage the, the public, let them know what's happening uh, on, uh, in space and on the space station. The real mission of the space station is to conduct science and really push the frontier of knowledge in terms of um, experiments and scientific research. And we do put that probably 60% of, of our of our day. And so we're always looking at at ways to get that information out, whether it's um, talking live to people through a a video conference uh, or social media. Interestingly enough, everybody always asks, do you have access, do you have your phone with you? How do you post to Instagram or or Twitter or whatever? We can't do it directly. There's a person on the ground that has the account login information and we we send down a picture or some thoughts for the words and, and they'll actually post it for us um but those are different ways that we we interact with with folks
0: that's cool i did i did not realize that i thought you would have a great cell signal up there because you know you're on the highest tower there is but (laughs) what do i know about verizon and t-mobile i don't know what all those things
1: yeah
0: so okay so one of the things you can
1: imagine that tech support phone call right when you call into the (laughs) verizon guy like no (laughs) no verify yourself please
0: (laughs) yeah 22 minutes later you're over europe yeah okay yeah (laughs) hey yeah you're You're calling the wrong call station, yeah. So um, one of the things that we hear with Medal of Honor recipients, and I'm I'm gonna make this parallel to you being an astronaut, um, is a lot of people, the Medal of Honor recipients, say that the medal is not about them, it's about those who served beside them or for those who didn't make it home. Um, Do you kind of feel the same almost like a sense of responsibility as a NASA astronaut. Like you get to be in space and you are the astronaut and you know you get all the, the cool photo shoots and all that thing, but do you help wear that fame and notoriety for everybody that serves at NASA that's responsible for the launch and everybody that's eyeing you as a role model that someday wants to be up doing what you're doing?
1: You know, Mo, you've nailed it, exactly. We We, all of us that have had the opportunity to fly in space, feel so lucky and privileged to, to get the opportunity. Um, I think that the world would be a far better place if every human being had at least five minutes to look out the window at Earth. Mm. And it gives you this perspective and everybody has a different takeaway. Uh, it didn't make me more or less religious or diff- view things differently or see myself in a different way. But it, for me, the impact was how I viewed Earth. I, I was never, um, I was always aware of Earth, and you know, didn't want to do bad things to it. But I was, it was never on the forefront of my mind. Seeing Earth from that perspective, with the thin little atmosphere, and um, just colors of swirling green and brown and blue and white, it really made me think, understand better that. Earth is a spaceship for seven billion or however many people we, we are. And we're on a spaceship with six people. Uh, and we need to keep the spaceship healthy, just like we need to keep Earth, spaceship Earth healthy. Uh, and so traveling to space and having that viewpoint really made me appreciate the world, the climate, the earth, the atmosphere, and you know, everybody can do their part to chip in to to keep it better. But um, I really I really do feel privileged that uh, I've had that chance to see it from that perspective.
0: That's awesome. It, you know, perspective is such a powerful word. And I think that um, in tying to the Medal of Honor Museum, which now again, you are at the helm of um, the the stories in the perspectives and the legacies that the museum will help share and and continue on for people who have not made it you know got it posthumously uh received the medal of honor posthumously or who have since passed on um is is there is that part of the draw like what is it about the mission um compared to all the other things that you've accomplished being a seal being an astronaut what (laughs) is it that drives you um and continues your calling your your sense of calling like you have retired from the navy you know, uh, staying on Earth with the rest of us um, now moving on to the Medal of Honor. Like, what is it that drives you towards that continued sense of service?
1: You know, Mo, that's a great question. And I'm curious to hear how you processed it mentally when you were transitioning from the Air Force to civilian life. But for me, it was, um, you know, I knew it was coming. I came back from this this last mission and I kind of had said to myself, all right, it's a good time. To, to retire from the government, move on from the Navy and from NASA and look for what's next. But that's a conceptual thing that's easy to say. And then you get into the process and you try to figure out what is next? What really drives my passion? Why do I want to get up this each day and, and go to work, whatever work is? And for me, that was an easy answer for the last 28 years. Um, and you I know, did the standard figuring out, okay, do I want to work for a large contractor? Do I want to uh, be in a public company, a private company, work on my own? um, Maybe just do some public speaking or something like that. And all of those had different pros and cons. And then when uh, a friend of mine reached out and and asked, would I be interested in being considered for this job? At first I I thought, oh, wow, that's really interesting. Um, You know, I don't know why they want me, but I'd love to be considered. Um, and then the more I learned every day when I talked to other people and, and understood the more passionate I got to the point where it was an absolute no brain decision. If they offered me the job, I would take it enthusiastically because for the very reason you said, Mo, it's, it's serving the nation in my mind in a different way, just out of uniform. And I, I don't know anything about museums. I've never run one. I've never built one, but the, but Ultimately, leadership, and I noticed at the intro you said you're a leadership um, speaker. You and I probably agree that leadership's about people, and no matter what you're trying to accomplish, it's about people, and people are the engine that gets you there. Uh, and so our staff is people, and and those people are experts in the in the the um, in the things that will take to build this museum, get it funded, deliver it on time, and open the doors. Uh, and, and so I'm just really excited that I can bring some of my experiences in that in that world of, of people and team and mission to get us across the finish line.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Leadership is leadership. It doesn't matter if you're coaching a, a you know, little league uh, peewee football team or, or an NFL yeah. team. I think the, the principles are the same, uh, whether it's for profit, not for profit, for in your community, wherever you are. So um, I love that that's the leadership that the museum has. But so the museum is planned to open in 2024. And I know we're also working to have the monument in uh, D.C., so beyond those physical like door opening and, and monument monument being put up, what are a couple of the big goals that you can share with us as the new CEO for this project?
1: Well, you know, um, the third aspect of the project is, is a leadership institute, which um, the more I talk to recipients, Medal of Honor recipients themselves, that their passion lies with character development, you know, passing on the legacy of what those values are, and inspiring future generations, and uh, and and the museum will be a physical brick and mortar thing that that can uh, aid in that mission. But really, when you come down to it, it's it's through education and programs that will exist in in um, our leadership wing of the of the of the, uh, of the museum, and uh, and we're putting together what those programs look like right now. And you know, we're we're just starting out, so. So it'll evolve over time. But our goal, and we had just an interesting staff exercise of picture a day, 10 years from now, what are we as an organization? What is happening in the building? What, you know, what amazing lecture is going on in the hall? Um, And that was a fun thought exercise to, to, to think about making decisions right now that can help get us there to that ideal day in 10 years or pick the number of years in the future. Uh, And it's, in my mind, when a young student walks out of of there or comes home from a field trip and says, "Mom, Dad, you wouldn't believe what I learned today," and and um, unsolicited, that's when you know when you impacted somebody, right? When right. when a kid says unsolicited by a question from their parent, they're telling you what happened in their day, right. and uh, and I'm excited for that to be the be the case because it's really about. Our, the future of our nation
0: so i love the fact that you guys have the leadership institute because again it's it, it's almost that bridge between um keeping alive the the legacy and the stories of those who have received the medal of honor and bridging that of that gap of understanding especially as we have a, a civilian community who has fewer and fewer um touch points with the military military service so you have this like you said brick and mortar place that people can do but i love the leadership institute um and you know, we talk about the things that get us to serve, you know, whether we were pushed in or forced into the military or had this calling to serve. And hopefully this leadership institute and the museum or the monument, all these different options um, will inspire the the future generations to carry on the legacies of the people who have been brave enough to put down their lives for us. So my question would be back to you is was there a a catalyzing moment in your life that throttled you into a life of service whether it was in the navy or with nasa or now with the medal of honor museum
1: you know that's a good question uh, i i have to be truthful and when i entered the naval academy it was not with an intent to have a career in the military you know i i i was enthusiastically attending and loved the fact that i would be in the navy but i didn't couldn't see beyond the five-year commitment and uh, and then once i I got in uh, graduated and got commissioned and and was doing my first few tours. Um, It was the the mentors that I had that I saw them having fulfilling career of naval service or, you know, pick your pick your, um, your service there. But I it was it. That's what lit the spark in like each new set of orders to travel to a new duty station was a, another adventure and mm-hmm. meeting new people and what would i'm having so much fun doing it why would i why would i stop of course i'm going to go to the next thing and um uh, and during that process i met a guy named bill shepherd who was the first navy seal astronaut and oh. i i had not thought that i would ever i didn't even know about that it was possible to apply to be an astronaut i just thought that was stuff that other people do or pilots only do that uh, and then he explained to me what the process is, what the qualifications are, how often they hire. And, uh, and so I applied it thinking to myself, well, if it works, that'd be amazing. I Get to be an astronaut. If it doesn't work, that's fine too, because I really like what I'm doing. Uh, I applied one time, it didn't get selected and I applied again and four years later and, and made it. So it all worked out. But um, to the, the basic answer to your question is, It was the mentors that i was uh, was surrounded by in the early part of my career that that really sparked the desire to serve
0: that's awesome you know and it's i think that's there's another again we talked about leadership being about people and you come back to it wasn't about the things you got to do was it the people who pushed you and guided you or the the people with whom you got to do those cool things um and i think another thing you know for all the listeners out there i think we all have an impact on people and i think we don't always realize it so i'm assuming because you and you and bill shepherd had conversations that he was aware of the push that he gave you but there are a lot of times that we say things and again you know as a leader in an 06 uh, coming out of the navy and especially as a command of, of a you know being in command of a seal team is that there are things that we say or do and depending on how that message is received it has an impact it can either lift or it can really crush somebody Um, So we need to be careful about the words we use and the actions that we that we take and how they're interpreted because we may say something in a certain tone of voice, but that doesn't necessarily mean it was received uh, in the same, uh, you know, message that that was meant for it to come out of our mouth and into somebody else's ears so
1: right communication uh, is about what is heard, not what's said
0: absolutely yeah I know I always say I always say to people it's it's not about the what we do it's really about the how, Um, and so. Again, that's why I'm really excited that there's this multifaceted approach with the monument in DC for the Medal of Honor Museum, the brick and mortar place that we can actually go, the events that you guys have, and, and now learning about the Leadership Institute. And again, this, this podcast is again, just another way that we can get those words out there so we can share these people's um, stories. Um, before I get to my last question, I, I do have to say that I can't let this episode wrap without mentioning the recent football game where my alma mater, the Air Force Academy, <laughs> uh, gave yours a beatdown, and we let you get a field goal in there—you're welcome for that. Um, but all rivalry and smack talk aside, um, you and I both know that the service academies are a special place. Um, and I believe you have a son going to the Naval Academy now.
1: I do. He's a plebe on the football team. He uh, he he doesn't suit out suit up quite yet, but he was on the sta- on the sidelines for that beatdown awesome Uh, i think we only had like 55 yards of total offense or something something.
0: well it's a a rebuilding year right like the The rebuilding year (laughs) (laughs) so that's awesome that 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 call to serve was that something that he always expressed interest or he's kind of following your footsteps or how did he find that path
1: um so so we we um he's my stepson we brought our families together in his in his high school years so i i think that as, as we came together as a family and he learned uh, about the path, that's what got him excited. He actually applied out of high school, but did not get, he got the congressional nomination, didn't get the appointment, uh, and then enlisted in the Navy, went to language school and reapplied to the academy and, and, oh, wow. and uh, went to the Navy prep school. And now he's he's there as a plebe. So he's a 21-year-old freshman, uh, but nonetheless, he's excited to be there. And we're super proud of him, to the path that he took.
0: Well, that's awesome. Well, well, thank your son for his service. And I'm about 30 minutes from Annapolis. So if you need anybody to ever check in on him, just let me know and I'll, uh, I'll pop in there. <laughs>
1: Oh, very good.
0: Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's well, and I think there's again. You talked about too applying to the uh, the astronaut program. There's a, there's a big lesson in there about persistence and not giving up and being open minded to you know. Sometimes we have this singular drive and focus on this thing that we want to be or do, um, and we don't open ourselves up to other possibilities. Like, oh, okay, I'll go to the Naval Academy. We'll see what doors open. I get commissioned. I'll do my commitment. This other door opens. You meet this other person, and just being open to the opportunities that are around us and Persistent, like uh, I'm assuming you didn't get into the Naval Academy the first time you applied. Is that is that fair?
1: Uh, so that's a really interesting story. I don't know if you, if you got two minutes for it, but I do,
0: uh, of course.
1: OK, uh, is, so nobody in my I grew up in a small town in Maine and uh, nobody in my family w- had been in the military. I guess my dad had like two years as a drafted Marine, but uh, but no service academy connections uh, and I remember looking through a glossy book of colleges and the, the guidance counselor's office and I flipped to the Naval Academy page and saw the uniforms and the cool buildings. And I uh, mm-hmm. thought, wow, that, that looks really, really great. And that the fine print, it says it's free to go here. You just have to be in the Navy. Um, I was like, I'm in. Uh, but I didn't know about the de- details of the process, but I, I, I had been told you had to apply to your congressional uh, representative, and and I did, and I went to the interview, and they said, "Good job. We take it from here. We got all your stuff. We'll take care of it." And I said, "Oh, I'm done. Yep, we got you. Don't worry about it." And so naive me, I didn't send anything to the Naval Academy, but I thought I was I thought I was good to go. You fa- that was the fall of my senior year. You fast forward to the spring, when everybody's starting to get thicker, thin envelopes, and they got to whatever college, and I was getting right. things from other colleges, but nothing from the Naval Academy. So I call admissions office and talked to the woman on, at the phone and, and she says what's your name can you spell it what's your social security number i hear it rummaging through files and she's i'm sorry we have nothing on you you're not even oh. in our, our system this is like april of my senior year Thanks. and uh as luck would have it before all that i had planned to my friend's dad has a business trip from maine to washington dc uh the next week during our spring break and my friend and i were going to go with the set and just do tourist stuff in washington and and i did uh and took an afternoon and drove over to the nail academy and went to the admissions office in person and, and saw the same her, woman at the front and she said oh you're from new england down the hall on the right captain malillo he's our guy from new england so i go march in and see captain malillo he's this stereotypical marine corps officer with a square jaw tight haircut perfect uniform shiny shoes um and i looked at him like oh boy this guy's intense (laughs) and uh, i tell him my story and i could tell even in my naive 18 year old brain that he was looking at me very intently like is this guy just a clown like everybody else got their applications and how did this guy not do it and do i believe his story I don't know. I could tell he was thinking that, you uh, know, and he goes, okay, thanks for your story. And I walked out. I th- remember thinking, ah, well, at least I tried. It's not going to happen. The next week I'm in school and I get paged to the front office and the, and the, uh, the secretary hands me the phone and, and I say, hello. And he says, Hey, it's Captain Malillo. I got good news for you. I can get you into the Navy prep school, but you got to tell me right now on the phone, if you're in, I'm like, yes, sir. I'm in. I didn't know where that school was. I didn't know what it meant, but I was all in. And I share that story because if it wasn't for Captain Malillo having some faith in a person that he never, ever saw again, yep. he changed my life, but it hadn't been for him. I wouldn't have got to the Navy prep school, which I would, wouldn't have got to the Naval Academy. I would not have certainly not been a SEAL and I would not have been a competitive astronaut applicant and and therefore i would never have done any of the things that, that my career had so that individual changed my life and he never even knew it
0: yep uh, see unbelievable that's a fast that's that's fantastic i mean that's that's awesome and you know it's one of those things you you hear those stories and you just want to pay it forward and hope that you and i know that you have been that person for for multiple people i'm sure i i can just tell Try. This, uh, yeah, yeah that that is fantastic oh i love that story yeah that's better than just not getting into the naval academy so that that's a much better story than than mine would be (laughs) okay so one last question as we round out this 11th episode of mission inspire do you have one particular medal of honor story that resonates the most with you and i know there's a lot of stories to pick from is there one that kind of resonates the most with you
1: well, there certainly are a lot of uh, a lot of stories, and um, I'm slowly learning them story by story. But one that is near and dear to to my heart is uh, was earned in Afghanistan by another SEAL, Britt Slabinski, uh, our SEAL platoon. I was not in his same unit, but our SEAL platoon was in the field at the same time when all that was happening. We were not too far away and heard some of the radio calls and uh, understood what was going on. Uh, and we wanted so badly to go over there and help, but there was just no way to get to, to where they to where they were. So so knowing his story and having been, you know, in the area of operations at the same time right. is one that means a lot to me. And I, res- I just have so much respect for all of them. That doesn't take away from any right, of them. Right. 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 Um, and so it's hard to even pick one out of the out of the three thousand five hundred and eight uh, individual recipients.
0: Yeah. Well, that's awesome and i'm and i'm glad that uh, again those those stories will be told and their legacies will live on and so that we can and i'm excited for the museum to get groundbreaking and all these stories and again using this podcast to share um their stories so i i think that's fantastic and uh i just want to say again welcome aboard and i'm glad that we have your leadership um and you have a just a long CV and a, just a lot of mad respect from, from even from this Air Force Colonel for you. And I'm glad that you're in charge there. So um, thank you so much for taking the time today. I know you've had a busy travel day. I cannot tell you how honored and humbled I am to have had the chance to speak with you and to hear firsthand about life uh up in space life down on earth life as a seal life getting into the naval academy uh in basically your life in service to our country and your continued service to our country and to have the vision that you have for the national medal of honor museum so thank you Mo. Wonderful yeah, to be that, with you. Yeah, yeah this has been great so that will be it for us today so to learn more about the national medal of honor museum please visit mohmuseum.org And please join us next time on the Mission Inspire podcast.